thank you, Jesus. We praise you and we give you honor and glory, Lord. We're so grateful to be in your presence, a place where not for your son, Jesus, that we did not deserve to be. To be standing in the presence of God, the holy presence of God. Thank you, God. We worship you. Holy, holy, holy is our God. Lord, we pray right now, sometimes when we come before you, we, we don't want to hear from you or we're not ready to hear from you or we're distracted and busy and, or we're just shut down and closed up. And right now, in this moment, we just, we just open wide and we say, Father, come and speak to our hearts. We're so grateful for your voice and for the truth that you provide and the direction and kindness and encouragement and love that you pour into every one of us, God. And so we welcome that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Grab your seats, everybody. Wonderful. Well, it's great to be together. So a little pre-warning that we gave last week and earlier on, if you've got young, young children here, uh, nothing graphic, but just the, the content and the theme today is just a little bit more grown up. So it's kind of a PG thing. Uh, if you have little ones and you want to head into kid life, now would be the time to do that. Um, today, um, we're going to be talking about uh, quite a, a difficult, meaty subject, and it is going to give you bad advice. This is week number two on how to actually have an affair. And so, originally, uh, this was supposed to be preached this upcoming Sunday, next week. And um, we were supposed to preach on something else today. And somebody told me in a planning meeting, uh, actually, next Sunday is Mother's Day. How to have an affair on Mother's Day. And we're like, man, that just does not fit. But next week isn't much lighter. We're going to be talking about addiction. So bring all the moms, and we'll talk about that together, and it'll be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Who goes to church to get bad advice? Well, here's what I know about you. Many of you here today, you have already arrived at painful destinations in your life. Why? Because you took bad advice. Maybe from yourself, and you thought you were right, and then you went, I wasn't so right, because this does not feel good at all. You made a decision, you made a choice, or maybe you listened to other people, and we all do it. We take bad advice. Today, what I want to do is I want to highlight some awful, terrible uh, advice, and then I want to align that up against some godly and some good advice, and then I want to apply that to our lives, and I hope that it makes a really big difference to every single one of us. Okay, so here's the big starter question, and I want to ask if you would, by show of hands, who here today is planning on committing adultery? Okay. Good start. I like that. <laughs> and yet it happens every day. Every day. Nobody plans on committing adultery. Yet people do it all the time. The fact that you do not want to, the fact that you do not want to ruin your marriage, you do not want to destroy your relationship with your children, the fact that you don't want your reputation just through a shredder machine, the fact that you don't want to drag the name of Jesus Christ because you're his follower through the mud probably means that you agree and embrace this truth, Exodus chapter 20, which quite succinctly says you must not commit adultery. It's the seventh command in the Big Ten, and it is absolutely elevating the sanctity of your home and your marriage and your family. The Bible heightens the value of the vow that you took the day that you got married. And it views that commitment as holy and binding so that sexual immorality and unfaithfulness is not to be permitted in your life under any circumstances whatsoever. 
Here's the crazy thing about this little law. You don't have to be a Christian to agree with it. In fact, most people who don't believe in God and wouldn't care less about Exodus chapter 20 would say, it's right. I agree with that because common sense tells you you're going to end up in all kinds of pain and difficulty. One study said that up to 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery. Wow, that's a lot. That's painful. Now, there's a lot of different studies, and in my opinion, that one is probably a little extreme, but it should certainly cause us to pause for a moment, and it should give us reason to pay attention. Now, the goal here today is not to make you fearful or make you anxious in any way. Is my partner going to cheat on me? No, that's not it at all. But I would say to you as a pastor who has spoken to many people in this exact context over the last 20 years, it simply is a massive reality and problem. And even though you don't plan on doing this, many people will. Many people do. And if I were to put it like this, I don't know that anybody particularly if you're living a life that's in a good place. And what I mean by that is that things are actually healthy and well and right in your life. So imagine a marriage where you have a husband or a wife, and they are actually engaging with their spouse, and it's good communication, and they're seeking the Lord together, and maybe they're you know, praying with each other and talking about God and actually exchanging things that are meaningful in their lives, and, and they're dating and, and paying attention to each other, and then investing in their children, and they're, they're facing the challenges and the woes and the pains of life, and they do that together, and then they celebrate the joys of life. What I'm saying to you is, it's very difficult for that man or woman who's in such a healthy place to one day say, I'm just going to go have an affair. That's a hard thing to do. More often, and I know that you already know this, but it's worth saying again. Here's what it looks like. Here I am in a healthy place, great marriage, things are going well, being a diligent husband or wife, and, and doing what you ought to be doing, and seeking God in your life. Things are great. And now here's what happens. A little time goes by, and you begin to take that for granted. And then a little more time goes by, and... Um, the communication kind of just slows down and then life gets very busy and there's a sense of distraction and that attention is not there anymore. And then a little bit more time goes by and you just notice someone and the fact of the matter is they just are kind of a little charismatic or a little attractive and they just pique your interest. And then you find yourself thinking about them and actually anticipating when could I possibly get to have a talk or a conversation or to be with that person. And then one day you find yourself longing for that and looking for that. And then one day you kind of brush up against somebody and, and you touch them. And all of a sudden you look and you're saying, I'm a long way from what was healthy and right in my life over here. And the truth is, it's very difficult overnight to go from this to this catastrophe over here. There's probably 50 lines that you will cross on your way there. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to give you three awful, rotten, terrible pieces of advice that will propel you to have an affair in your life. Number one, neglect your marriage. Find something else to give your best to. It doesn't matter what it is, anything else, anyone else, your job, your work, your hobby, your yard, your friends, social media, politics, let's get fit, your children, even your children, don't take care of yourself. Don't have any communication with your spouse. 
Don't talk to them about anything that's actually real and meaningful to you. Don't ever have a conversation with your spouse about something that would even be emotional for you, like you actually feel deeply about something. And then when it comes to emotional closeness or even physical intimacy, man, if you have to do that, making it, make it as boring and dull and lifeless as you possibly can and do the same thing every time. As boring as you can, predictable. Amen? No, I can't say amen to that. That would be weird. <laughs> Number two, enjoy common interests and form an emotional bond with somebody else. Find somebody who might possibly be interesting or attractive to you and then do lots of things together with them. Talk to them, meet with them. Go to certain places that you both enjoy together. Maybe you could share a project at work. A fitness class is a great place to meet people without your spouse knowing. Tell yourself, I think she likes me. I think he finds me interesting. She laughs at my jokes. My spouse doesn't laugh at my jokes. She used to, but she doesn't laugh at them anymore. And whatever you do, make every effort that you can to hide that from your spouse. Don't let them know. And if they find out and they begin to inquire or ask a question, you shut that down really quick. How dare you ask me that kind of question? You belittle their concerns. Make them feel bad for even thinking that. And now you start anticipating your time together with this other person. Well, if I go there at that time, I think they're usually there around that time. And maybe I could get a little flirty and show a little skin. Guys, suck in the gut. Stretch your stuff a little bit. And here's the gold. Here's the gold advice. You really want to do this. Make that relationship with that other person. Make it spiritual. That's really good. Can I pray for you? What's going on in your life that I could possibly, you know, oh, and then they could tell you something that's very vulnerable in their life. And then you could follow up later on and say, how's that going? Because I've been praying for you. The Lord has really laid you on my heart. And I want to pray. And, th and I've been thinking. I've been thinking about you. Okay, I'm ready to puke up here. <laughs> this is some bad advice. Number three, make excuses and rationalize your actions. Blame your spouse. That's a great way to make an excuse. Well, if he met my needs, if she began to pay attention to me like she used to, I, if I didn't have to put up with this you-know-what all the time, just go ahead and blame your spouse. I'm not happy anyway, and God wants me to be happy. My happiness is paramount to God. I th it says it in the Bible. I'm sure it says it in the Bible somewhere. If it doesn't, it should say it in the Bible that my happiness is what's most important and God must want me to be happy in life, right? Tell yourself this. I'm not actually going to go through with it. It's just harmless fun. It's just a little flirty, a little touchy-touchy. It's just a joke or two. It's just fun. And then when you get really close to maybe going there, you think, well, maybe this was meant to be. Maybe this is really what God intended for my life. This is the rationalization. Okay, for anyone who came in a few minutes late, and you're whispering, this church is cray-cray. <laughs> this is bad advice that I'm giving you. This is awful, awful stuff. 
Nobody plans to betray their spouse and hurt their children. Nobody walks down the aisle thinking to themselves, but if I feel like it, I'm going to step out on this person that I've just committed to do life and to share life with them, whether it's sickness and health, whether it's um, plenty or in want, whether it's better or worse. None of us plan to do that, and yet it happens every single day. So let me turn the corner on this and give you some godly advice that I think will help your marriage today or maybe your marriage in the future. We bump into a fellow by the name of Solomon. He is king. And one day he looks out his window and you'll never believe what he sees. Verse six. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. So this guy, this young man, he has walked down the wrong road. Verse 8, passing along the street near her corner. Whose corner? Taking the road to her house. Whose house? In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. This temptation, this trap will lead you to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It will help you and it will hold up for you a plan for how you can pragmatically engage in this trap. The when and the where of where it could possibly happen. Verse 10, behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Now, this scripture is actually talking about a specific woman, but I would say to you that this sin is a loud and wayward sin. It is rebellious. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. Look at this. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him. Now, I want to pause there for just a second. This is a critical moment in the scripture, and I want you to, I want you to put this in your back pocket for the rest of your life. That moment right there where she seizes him and kisses him, that is the enemy showing you his cards. Imagine playing a game of cards with the enemy. He has just tipped his hand, and you can see what's in his hand. Any time in your life sexual sin wants to come knocking on your door, it will attempt to shock you and surprise you. And what you do, and what I want you to take with you for the rest of your life, is when you find that moment comes, when you see something visually on a screen or in person, or you hear a conversation that is lewd and inappropriate, or you see behavior or touching or actions going on, and you are almost paralyzed, like, wow, I, I, look at that. Did you hear that? And you find yourself kind of shocked. That's your tell. That's your moment. And here's what you do in that moment. You run. You run as fast as you can. That's the enemy tipping his cards. It is a sign of the evil that is intended towards you. So when you are in shock, you don't stick around. You turn around and you walk away from it. And here's the problem. It's one thing to be in shock. It is a greater problem when you're no longer able to be shocked. When you've become so familiar and so used to it, that's when trouble is really knocking on your door. Now what she says next is simply awful. This is what she says to this young man. I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. Here's what she's saying. I went to church today. I've already paid my tithe. And I have a peace offering with me so that after we sin, we can offer up this peace offering together and we can be forgiven. I've already been to church. 
I've already given this offering. After we sin, we're going to be poised to simply say, sorry about that. One man who actually, one man I spoke to several years ago had an affair. This is what he actually said to me. He said, but pastor, you don't understand. We pray together. That is the height of deception. To think that you can come into the Holy of Holies with the person you're having the affair with. Verse 15, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. What's happening here? She's making preparations. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Lust always masquerades itself as love. What the world calls lust is, excuse me, how they define lust is by using the word love. That's simply not the case. Love is from heaven. Lust is from the pit of hell. The world calls it making love. A one-night stand is not making love. Love is spending 20, 30, 40 years with the same man, with the same woman, raising children together and facing the ups and downs and the woes and the pains of life together. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Here's what this trap will say to you. You won't get caught. You'll be the first person in human history to never get caught. Let me say it to you like this. Today, you might even be hiding this from your family and friends. And you think that means that you will not get caught by God, but that is also the height of deception. Or that you can do this and there simply will not be any consequences. 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. Look at this. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Do you remember who saw this? It was the king. He was looking out his window and he saw this drama taking place in front of him as darkness was coming in. King Solomon saw this. Many theologians believe that Solomon, as a godly king, had these two young people put to death as the Old Testament law prescribed. He did not know it would cost him his life is a literal statement. He was doing this at night. He was convinced that nobody would catch him. If you're going down this road, here's what you need to know. The king is watching. 24. <clears throat> and now, O oh sons, listen to me. And be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Just a small observation, just from my personal interactions with these kinds of scenarios. The vast majority of people that I've personally spoken to about this are men. More men have come to me than women have come to me about this. And this is just a personal observation. The kinds of men that I have spoken to about this, generally speaking, are what the world would describe as successful men. The kinds of men who tend to fall into this trap are men who have their act together, men who drive big expensive cars, and men who drive nice, excuse me, who wear nice expensive suits, who run companies and give orders. They tend to be the kind of people. Verse 27, 
Her house is the way to Sheol, that's another word for hell, going down to the chambers of death. Let me give you some godly advice. Number one, radically reduce the risks. Radically reduce the risks. Most other sins in the Bible, we're told to avoid them, we're told to step away from them, except for sexual sin. The Bible says, Forest, run. Run, Forest, run. That's what the Bible says. Don't think that you're going to stand there and say, you know what? I'm not going to be shocked by this. There's this thing in front of me. I can hear it. I can see it. I can touch it. It's right around me. I can be close to this and I'll fight it. I'm strong. You're not strong. You're not that strong. Run. The Bible says run away from it. Flee from sexual immorality. Do not go near it. Run. Sometimes we think of the act of adultery of crossing the line. You want to reduce the risks, you've got to ask yourself this question right now. What line am I crossing in my life right now? Do you remember what we talked about just a few moments ago? For the healthy individual to get all the way over here to actual sexual unfaithfulness. There's about 50 different lines in here. The question you've got to ask yourself right now is, what ones am I dabbling on? What ones am I stepping over? What ones am I willing to go there? And you say to yourself, I'm not doing that, but you're on your way. You've got to radically reduce the risks. It starts in the mind. It starts with your eyes. And it starts in your heart. That's the beginning. A fool thinks, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, I have a problem. You've got to look here. What lines are you crossing? Here's the litmus test. You may or may not like this question. For every one of you here, if your spouse saw everything that you said and did in a 24-hour period of time, would he or she be blessed? Or would he or she be wounded and hurt? Ouch. Take 24 hours of your life. And if they could see everything that you looked at, every conversation that you had, every touch, every joke, every interaction, every screen that you looked at, would your spouse be honored and elevated and blessed or would they be damaged and hurt? And if you're here today going, ha ha, I'm so glad I'm not married because I don't like that situation at all, you're not off the hook. I want you to think of your future marriage. If your future husband or your future wife could see every interaction that you had in the last 24 hours, would they be blessed and honored or would they be hurt and wounded? If the line of sin starts in the mind and with the eyes and in the heart, what line are you crossing and rationalizing in your mind in a normal day for you? Keep growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to, like every day. Coming before your father. And then share that with your spouse. Talk to them about what God is teaching you and showing you. Or what do you think the scripture means? Have that conversation. Can I pray for you? Let's pray together. Let's hold hands. Kelly, my wife, came up to me very recently. She stopped me. I was walking up the stairs in the house. Normal day, guys. She says, hey, I had shared something with her a few weeks ago prior to this conversation that I was struggling with. You ever have just something like, uh, just kind of, going around, and you're just not feeling right about something. And I had shared it with her. And a few weeks later, I was just walking up the stairs. She said, hey, Alan, do you remember that thing that you said to me a few weeks ago? I said, yeah. She said, I've been praying for you. How's that going? What's happening with that? Do you know how much harder it is to have an affair on a spouse that is serving you and praying for you and loving for you in that kind of way? It's very difficult, thank God. Never be alone with 
other people, excuse me, never be alone with the wrong people. One time I had two marriages that came up to me, a husband and wife, a husband and a wife. And they wanted advice. They said, can we ask you if this is okay? The husband from this marriage and the wife from this marriage both loved going to the movies to see action movies. But their spouses couldn't give a rip about that. They're like, I'm not going to the flicks. No way. I, I don't want to go to the movies. And so they came up with an agreement. You can see where this is going, right? The husband from this marriage and the wife from this marriage got permission and they both go to the movies all the time. They get their popcorn and their Coke and they watch the movie and they said, is this okay? Here's a direct quote of Pastor Allen's advice to them. You ready? Stupid, stupid, stupid. That's what I said to them. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Never, ever talk badly about your spouse. Never, ever talk badly about your spouse. Amen? Never, ever, ever talk badly about your spouse. Amen? Amen. And on this day and age, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to an array of kind of people that I know from many years ago on social media, and I'm going to type some things about what a nasty husband I have. Don't ever, 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 ever do that. What does it accomplish? It will bury your marriage, and it will destroy your reputation. Avoid all inappropriate places and situations. You're heading off for a business trip, and afterwards it's everyone down to the bar for drinks. Maybe you just sit that one out. Maybe you're working with somebody right now, and you know, you already know this. That's an attractive person for whatever reason. And you just are tempted to go there. It has the potential to move forward somewhere. And here's what you need to do. You need to deal with that stuff radically. You need to ask to be moved to a different place, to go to a different apartment, or get a different job if you need to. It's way easier to find a new job than it is to rebuild a 20-year marriage. Number two. Invest passionately in your marriage. Invest passionately in your marriage. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, simply says this. May your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. I told you this was PG. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. I read this to my wife on a regular basis. <laughs> Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? What is he saying to this young woman? If the grass is greener somewhere else, what are you to do? You've got to water your own yard, okay? Instead of going, well, that grass looks greener, so I'm going to go over there. No, you've got to do something where you are right now. You need to get intoxicated with your love again. You need to become infatuated all over again. You need to get a little captivation going on, yeah? You can give me an amen on this. You're very quiet. I'm talking like some consuming with each other. You know where I'm going with this, right? I promise you there is not a single husband in this room that is going to have a problem with his wife ever getting on some intoxication and ravishing. I feel like, yeah, come on now. Praise God. Now we're preaching. <laughs> Man, trust me, your wife will not have a problem with a little 
intoxication and a little consuming going on, okay? I want you to go for it. Watch these three things really quick. You gotta get alone time, you gotta get spiritual, and you gotta get naked. And I mean it. I mean it. You gotta get naked regularly. Okay, get alone. No kiddos. Get the kiddos out of there. Just the two of you. Regularly, frequently be with each other. Get spiritual. Pray together. Talk to each other. Read the Bible together. Read a book and, and say, hey, what did that mean to you? Have those conversations. That's getting spiritual. To, and they get naked. I'm dead serious. Get naked. This is the new way to build a kid life ministry to grow the church. We're going to have all kinds of babies. Should have done this on Mother's Day. I should have done it. <laughs> if things are not great, if things are not the way they used to be, start to invest. You, even though you don't feel like it, go for it. You begin. Even if you're feeling empty, start to fill the other person up and watch how they respond when you begin to pour into them. If you used to have something special, but you don't have it now, it's because you used to do something special that you're not doing anymore. And you've got to start doing that again. What you used to do, invest in your marriage. Last one, number three. And guys, this is the hard one. You've got to visualize the potential destruction. Oh, man, I wish, I wish I didn't have to say this. Every man in this room, whether you're married or single, whether you're young or old, imagine this. Kids, I can't live with you anymore. Oh, man, I can't even imagine that. Every woman in this room, imagine the conversation. Kids, you know your dad's best friend. Kids, you've met my boss, right? Mommy spent a little too much time with him. Imagine that conversation. I, I, as I was preparing this, I'm like, put it on yourself. Betraying the name of my Savior who gave his life for me. I would probably crush hundreds of people, maybe a few thousand people that I've ministered to over the last 20 years might make it into a few local papers. I'd have to look at the woman who has given me a family and has been so faithful to me, I'd have to look her in the eyes. I'd have to sit down with my three children and I'd have to have that conversation. And 20 years of doing it right and 20 years of doing that well and 20 years of being faithful and keeping my vows and 20 years of a good reputation. Now in a moment, I would take all of that and I would throw it away in the trash for one moment of utter selfishness. And I want you to visualize that. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel the weight of that. Because Satan is on the prowl. And he wants to steal and kill and destroy everything that matters to God. And you matter to God. And your marriage matters to God. And your family matters to God. And your kids matter to God. Now I recognize as I've been speaking here today. That there's probably a handful of people in here who are holding back tears. And the reason why is because you've been betrayed. This is your story. And could I say to you this? I believe that God's heart breaks for you. I believe today that he is open arms 
and that he loves you dearly. And I'm so glad that you're here today. And I want you to know the love of this family and the love of your Savior. The second and the last thing is that there are those here today and you are the betrayer. And you're sitting in here and you don't really know how to handle this and you've been squirming in your seat. And in the context of this mistake, you actually need healing in your life. That's what you need. It's probably what you want. Nobody in this church gets to look down their nose at you. Amen, church? Nobody gets to look down their nose at you. And I want to say to you today that there is grace enough for you and your family that is found in Jesus Christ because he is not your condemner. He is your forgiver. And you are not judged and you're not pushed away. The arms of God are wide open if you will come back to him. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And it applies to every one of us. Even when we are unfaithful, place sexual immorality aside. If we define unfaithfulness as those of us who, are, who have turned our backs on God and those of us who have simply sinned in our lives, give me a show of hands. Who are the unfaithful in this place today? It's every one of us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 simply says this, even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. And that is the gospel. That's the good news. Can we stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for tough messages and meaty messages and necessary messages from your word. I pray for every man and woman in this place who are not married, whether they are young or old, whether they're dating or engaged or single or um, maybe divorced. I pray for every widow and every widower in this place. Father, I bring them before you and I pray today that they would experience nothing less with the love of God, and that they would hear this truth that if it applies potentially for their future, it would take ground and it would grow. I pray for every man and woman that today looks at their, their marriage and says, you know what, the grass is greener somewhere else, and I ask you to lay your hands on them and to lay a hold of them and to shake them and to convict them and to knock sense into their heads and their hearts and to show them, Lord, the truth and righteousness and the way forward. Lord, today we could betray you. It's in us. Save us from ourselves, God. I pray for every marriage in this room today that needs to water its own yard desperately. Truthfully, we all do more. But I pray, Father, that once again, we would start doing what we used to do, that we would pray together and read the word together and we would talk together and we would be honest with each other and we'd have meaningful conversations and we would share the load and we'd lift each other up and we would love each other well and we would communicate better. For those of us in this room today who need healing, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I ask you to touch where the pieces have fallen apart, you would put them back together. Lord, your word says, if we look lustfully, 
we have committed adultery. And I just don't know too many people who have never had a lustful thought. So God, on behalf of every person in this room today, we look to your faithfulness even when we are unfaithful. Thank you for how you minister to us and how you care for us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church together said,